Ephesians chapter 1. I did put 3 to 14, but I've uh, shortened it to 3 to 6 and didn't see uh, up at the top. I didn't shorten it up there. So we're going up through verse 6 here today. <clears throat> Last week we looked at the mysteries of the current kingdom, the kingdom of God that is here in the church age, and the spiritual blessings that were given to us. That have been given to us. Let's uh, read over verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted, in the Beloved. We're going to spend most of our time taking a look at the predestination aspect of this. This is uh, tends to be a very denominational thing. Some denominations completely stay on one side. Other denominations completely go on the other side. We're going to uh, take a look at this and some other areas in Scripture to get an idea of what the Bible talks about as far as this. The word for that is translated here predestination is the Greek word pro-orizo. It means to predetermine, decide beforehand. It is, uh, the pro, of course, is a preposition that means before. And then we join that with the noun horos, which means a boundary or a limit. So basically you're looking at a predetermined boundary or limit. The uh, the verb itself means to mark out the boundary or limits of any place or thing. When it's used of persons, it means to put limitations upon that person, thus to determine his destiny. Preposition pro, prefixed to the verb, means before, as we said, and the compound verb means to mark out the boundary or limits of a place, thing, or person previously. Thus, we sum it up with to predestine. This all comes from Wiest. Um, Kremer also defines it this way, to determine or decree beforehand. Now then, that's where people start to branch off and they begin to say, well, God has decreed that this would happen to me, that I would become, that I would do, and so I have done such because God has decreed it. And that other people are completely on the free will side and you can become and do anything that you want. So we want to take a look, not only in Bible teaching, but also in Bible example, what this is. Most of the controversy over this word is determining what is predestined. I have some ideas that I wrote down. Of course, the first one we all know real well, salvation. That God has predetermined who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. That's one of the teachings that comes out of that that is, uh, I guess, very Baptist. He had to say certain Baptists. It can't just be all because there's like 200 and some different Baptist groups and uh, they all don't have the same beliefs. There are some differences in there, but salvation is certainly one. There is function. I wrote down, down as the second one, function that has been predetermined what my function would be, predetermined what my rank would be, that some people can rise to a certain level because it's been predetermined to be that. Other people will not because it's been predetermined that you will not be. Some people are more important in the body of Christ and some people are less important because God predetermined that beforehand. So this is what some people would begin to think. There are some other places that this word is used in Acts 4.28. It says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. You don't see the word predestined, but it's the same Greek word that's in there. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So that's one place where we see this. In Romans 8, for whom he, uh, 29 and 30, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. 
Now, what's interesting on this one is not only do we have the word predestined in there that we have in Ephesians, we also have a very similar word in the word foreknew. Foreknew is from the word prognosco. I'm sorry, prognosco. To know beforehand. To foresee. So, what this is talking about is it's a word, it's not predetermined, but it's foreknown. That God would foreknow this. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, looking at that from that point, the example we used last week, if we came in here, we had a group of 50 people, and we say, how many people want to play softball? And out of that 50 people, 20 people raise their hand. All right, we'll take these 20 people, and we'll go out, and we'll, we'll have a softball game with those 20. We don't include the other 30, because they didn't raise their hand. They didn't say they wanted to be part of the softball group. Uh, they may not be into softball. Maybe they're not in, don't feel like they're in shape enough. Uh, just don't enjoy the sport. Whatever the reason, they can have a hundred different reasons for why they don't want to be there, but only 20 people said, so when we go and we make the softball teams, we only make it out of that group of 20 because the other 30 said they don't want to be involved. So it's, it's a free will. But if you ever had a, a group of 50 people and you say, I'm going to see how many of them would help in a particular project, don't you kind of have an idea who's going to say yes? Have you ever had, you have a group of people then you say, well, this one's going to involve maybe sewing. And if I was in that group and somebody was picking and they say, well, I'm pretty sure that uh, Steve's not going to, he's not going to say. They could have some foreknowledge of the fact based upon knowledge of me beforehand. And so sometimes we come to a group and we already know, well, I, I know with the group that we got here, we won't get any more than 10 people who would agree to do this. But you're going out there, maybe you get 8, maybe you get 12, maybe it varies a little bit, but you got a pretty good idea that out of the 50 people, not all of them are going to go. Well, if we want to get softball people out of these 50, I know the so-and-so, they're not going to play. They're not going to want to go along with that. And so we have a, a bit of a knowledge. Now, we're not, pre, we're not making it so that they can't get involved, but when we come out to the group of 50, I'm not expecting them to get involved. Now, that's just human foreknowledge, not divine. God works on a much higher level than we do. And he's able to be in touch with the past, the present, and the future. So when he says he foreknows, he foreknows because he saw you make the decision. He saw you refuse. He saw you accept. He knows beforehand. So he comes to the group of people in humanity, and he says, who wants to be saved? And some people raise their hand. And they say, I would like to be. And other people say, I want none of that. And then there's some other people who maybe after a while, they say, well, you know what? I think I'll, I'll go along with that. They maybe they didn't say so right off the bat, but eventually they would come on over. Well, him being God, he knew who they would be. So he has that foreknowledge. But the foreknowledge is not based on the fact that he made you do it. He just knows who's going to come in. Because he's in touch with the past, the present, and the future. He's not a linear God. He's a God who is just as much the God of Abraham alive as he is the God of Elijah alive, as he is the God of John alive, as he is the God of Paul alive. He doesn't, he's not the God of the dead. That's what she, he was t- uh, telling the people. He's not the, Abraham, he's not the God uh, of, I'm sorry, he was not the past tense God of Abraham, he is the God of Abraham. Because as God looks at it, Abraham is still alive. Because he can still go back in time to the past, be in the present, and be in the future. Which is why John was taken up into heaven and saw the actual tribulation go on. Not a staged event. Because this is what God can do. He can take somebody from the past and show them the things of the future. He's going to do this again with Moses and Elijah when he takes them into the tribulation period. They don't go into the tribulation period with redeemed bodies. They go into the tribulation period with the same bodies they had in the Exodus and when he, when Elijah was ministering to Ahab and others. It's the same body. He took them from that same spot and took them right into, into there because if they don't have that body, they don't have a right to be here. And just as Jesus didn't have a right to do any more miracles once he received his glorified body, but the two witnesses are going to be doing miracles they still have the same body they had in the Old Testament. 
So that's how our God is. He's just in touch with the past, present, and future. We can't be. We're linear. We're only in the now. We can't be in the past, present, and future like God can. So when he says he foreknew, he foreknew your free choice because he saw you make it. And he made plans. In fact, he saw you make it before the foundations of the world were formed. He knew that what you were going to do. And so he made plans based on that. So there is absolutely no sense in God making plans for those who aren't going to come into the body of Christ. Why in the world should I predestine a place for them in the body when they are not going to select it? It's their option to select it, but they aren't going to do it. They aren't going to go in that, that direction. If you look at the, uh, the book of Acts, God made an appearance to Paul. Well, God knew that appearance was going to persuade Paul and take him over to the choice that he needed to make. But in the uh, in the Gospels, Jesus is confronted. Oh, actually, he just tells the story. He does the he tells the parable. It may have been based on a true event, but he tells the parable of Lazarus, and that Lazarus had bad things, and the rich man had good things. And when they're both in uh, one's in hell and one's in Abraham's bosom, the rich man says, "Send." Lazarus back to my brothers so that they would repent. And the Lord says, nope. If they see one come from the dead, they still won't repent. Why? Because he can see into the future. He knows if that begins to, that happens, they refuse. And so there's no sense in doing it because they're going to refuse it anyway. Now, if we, if we won't accept that view of God, then we're going to come up with other viewpoints of predestination. And if people want to be ignorant and do that, if you're going to make God fit into your just the way that you view time, the way that you see things, if that's what you're going to limit your God to, then the understanding that you have of God is going to be very limited. I can't understand how God can do it, but I know that He can, because He shows me how He's done it in the Word of God. So I accept that He can do it. Therefore, I accept the things that He, that he can do. It's just kind of like uh, if we all sit, out, sit around and we watch Star Trek. And we were watching this when we were kids. They were doing stuff there that none of us could even imagine. Now we can imagine it. You know, we can imagine a, a wireless communication. <laughs> but that was a dream there. But he came up with wireless communication. And uh, I guess Bluetooth connection was uh, something from, from there as well. Because there's no wires on their communicators. They just, you know, tap the button on their chest and... They can talk with whoever they want to talk to. And we haven't beamed anybody out anywhere. <laughs> but that didn't stop us from enjoying the show. And we haven't traveled in warp speed, but we can accept that they did. So just in the same way that I watch Star Trek movie, and I accept that they have warp speed, and they can travel at warp speed, and that they can beam people from one place to another, I just accept it and watch the show. I can just accept that... My God is able to do these things. I just sit back and watch the show. I don't understand how he does it. But it doesn't stop me from enjoying these things. I don't understand how phasers work. But we all love to see when those phasers lock onto a Klingon vessel and destroy it. That's all right. <laughs> but we don't have to figure everything out. I can't figure out everything that my God does. Otherwise, he wouldn't be as much of a God as, as the Word makes Him out to be. He would be limited by what we're limited by. So this is how God is. He's able to be in touch with the past, present, and future. He doesn't have to make me make a decision in order for me to comply with what He foreknows. He lets me make my own free will and He watches me do it and based upon what He sees me do and decide to do, He makes plans. Well, we can't have Joe on the team because Joe's not going to jump in. So we're going to have to go another direction. Joe's got some talents. We put some talents. We put some abilities in him. But he's not going to use them for the kingdom of God. He's going to go over and use them for the kingdom of Satan. So uh, we're going to have to go over here and, and use these other people instead. And so he'll, he'll, he'll do that. He'll make plans. But he doesn't plan on people being in the body of Christ who aren't going to make a decision to be in the body of Christ. Because that's how our God is. He's, he's He knows the... He has the foreknowledge. So Paul is writing about that here in Romans. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, 
These he also called. Well, why in the world are you going to call people that don't make a decision to go after God? They may have some talents, but they don't have a call anymore because they, they decided not to use the giftings they have of God to pursue them. So, <clears throat> whom, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So there's a pattern, a progress that he will do, but he's not going to plan all that out for people that aren't in the body. And they're going to decide to be in the body. Now this word here for foreknow, it uses the word for no of gnosko. Uh, um, I'm sorry, gnosko. Gnosko is one. It's not absolute knowledge. It's not just. It's not oida. He has absolute knowledge of it because there's not an absolute knowledge to have. This is a growing knowledge. This is the knowledge that comes from knowing who the person is, knowing who how the thing is. So he knows us from the foundation of the earth. He knew us. And knew where we would go and based all that based upon his knowledge of us. Not his knowledge by himself. So it's our choice. It's our things that we do. But he just knows about it ahead of time. There are things that we can do as earthly people. We could, you could look at a certain, certain, I think boys are easiest one to do in this. Girls, you never know what they're going to do. You really don't. I mean, it just depends on the mood for the day. You look at the little girls out there, I mean, it might be in a good mood, might be in a bad mood, you just don't know what they're going to do. But little boys, you always know what they're going to do. As long as you know the little boy, you know exactly what that little boy is going to do. I've told people often, you may not like it, but you know what they're going to do. He's going to run out in the street, right? I know it, he's going to run out in the street. I don't want him to run out in the street. I've told him not to run out in the street. He'll be disobedient to do run out in the street, but he's going to run out in the street. I know it. And so what's the mom do? Hollers out, don't run out in that street. I'm not, Mom. Uh huh. <laughs> you would have if I hadn't said anything, because <clears throat> we have that that knowledge is based upon knowing the person. I know what kind of things that they would do. I know where they would they would go. There's a foreknowledge of those things based upon the knowledge I have of that person. But God just takes that to a higher level because He's God. So if we can do some of these things at the human level, how much more is God going to do it at His level? So don't take God and put them on your level and interpret the Bible according to that because you'll get all messed up. Now, I know nobody here does that, but <laughs> there are people out there that do it. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained, that's our word, before the ages for our glory. So you could basically put this in there if you want to understand it better, for, for which God predestined before the ages for our glory. God determined ahead of time that these things would go this way. But again, it's based upon what he foreknew. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. So God, before the ages of our glory, he knew what was coming. He knew what he was going to do. He knew Israel was going to reject God. He knew they were going to reject the Messiah. And so he said, when they do that, we're going to wait for them to do it. I'm not going to just make this decision. We're going to let them do it first. And once they reject Messiah, once they reject the king, then we will go with this plan. If they accept him, we won't go with this plan. But I know they're going to reject him. And so if they get to that spot, Pilate brings Jesus out. He's not our king. Kill him. So they rejected him. Jesus goes to the cross and we go into the church age based upon what they did. But it wasn't determined by God that they did it. They did that on their own. Ephesians 1, 5 and verse 11 as well. Having predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he has determined, he has said, this is the way that Steve ought to go. This is the way that Ethel ought to go. And how many of y'all know, we've messed up on that path. (laughs) We haven't exactly followed what God said. God has said, this is the way you should go. Walk ye in it. And I come up to a spot, and no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I go over here instead. And God says, that's all right. I knew you were going to make that that detour. But I have a way to get you back in. 
And he's got a way to get us, get us back in, get us back onto the predetermined path if we would choose to, to go out there and to do that. And then sometimes, you know, we, we, all right, we got back onto the path and then we hit another spot. We're off again in another direction. And God says, that's all right. I got a way to get you back in. We're going to bring you back in over here and <laughs> we're, we're going to get this thing accomplished. Just because these things, uh, just because these things come down and I make these decisions doesn't mean that I'm going to be, be taken off track. Don't be afraid of these, these things. Don't be afraid of what the enemy will do. Don't be, uh, don't be, uh, uh, taken back by any of this, this stuff. But now I'm seeing something how it kind of relates. And how many people saw the, the post I put up on Facebook today? Anybody see that? Uh, Keith was all, okay. I put a, a, a little mini teaching up there on, on Facebook. Uh, I was out there running the, this morning and, um, <clears throat> I was, uh, I'm usually out there before John and then I meet up with him at the bus stop. And so today, as I was out there, I was just kind of mulling over some things, asking him some things. You know, people are going through this, that, and the other thing, and and I'm just kind of checking on some things. So the Lord told me to remind people about a couple of uh, principles out of the story with the storm. And so uh, I put them up there on there. They're up there on Facebook if you wanted to go up there and to, to check those things out. But what you saw here is there is a determined path that Jesus was to take. He's following it. We need to go to the other side. And so they get in the boat and they go on the other side and the storm comes up. The storm is there. It's not because any of them were disobedient. The storm came up. You can sometimes be going along the path that God wants you to go and a storm comes up to try and take you off your path, take, take you off your game, get you off into another direction. You're going the way you're supposed to go. You've made a decision to head this way. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. The disciples says, let's make it happen. And they get in the boat. Jesus goes to sleep. We're going to make this thing happen. We're going to the other side. They're heading over to the other side. The storm comes up. They start, you know, battling the, the different things that are going on. And uh, I'm not going to get all the stuff I put on the, on the Facebook spot. But uh, this was trying to derail them and take them in another direction. And it caused them to get thrown a little bit. They began to distrust Jesus, whether he really loved them. And they're battling, of course, the wrong things in the, in the waves and, and so forth. But a lot of times when people, we're going along the way we're supposed to go. We're going in a direction. We're following God's predetermined path. And he said, this is, if you go this way, this is the best way. That's what I mean by predetermined. Not predetermined. I don't have any choice. Predetermined that this is the best way to get there. Kind of like when you were saying, I want to go over to this place. You type it into your maps and the map says, this is the way we're going to go. And I made a wrong turn. That's map says, that's okay. <laughs> Rerouting. <laughs> and so it reroutes you, but it may take you a few more minutes than it was going to take before, but we're still going to get you there. And so it's just a, a rerouting, and sometimes the enemy throws these things in. What happens a lot of times with Christians is we get our focus so much on the storm and how we handle the storm, we lose sight of the fact that the storm was not the purpose. The purpose was going to the other side. You know, sometimes we we are going where God tells us to go and along the way we encounter a battle and we judge our entire life and how we handled the storm. Well, how did my faith hold up in this storm? This part I didn't put up there. I've just seen it now. Oh, that's where it tied in. <laughs> so we're throwing this out to you now. So we're saying, um, I didn't handle the storm the way I should have. I'm there battling waves instead of speaking to the wind. And Jesus turns to me and says, where is your faith? Why, why is it that you're doubting? He said the, these things to them. And I can get all bent out of shape because I didn't handle the storm. But the purpose of is going to the other side and handling the demoniac and getting, the, getting that spirit, those spirits cast off of him and free that man Actually, there probably was two of them. And free them so that they could be a, a testimony for God in that area. Because then Jesus has to get out because uh, we can't handle you. You need to leave. <laughs> so he leaves, he leaves him behind. But that was the purpose. How many times are we doing what God has told us to do? We're following the, the, the path that he has set before us. And a storm comes up and the devil gets us all in condemnation because we didn't quite handle the storm well. Or the storm didn't go away right away. 
and we're focused on how we handle the storm, God says, will you forget the storm? What you need to do is on the other side. So the note I did put up there on Facebook was this. Just just understand, the disciples got exhorted because their faith wasn't where it was supposed to be when they faced the storm. But in just a few years, they're going to be turning the world upside down with that same faith. Just a few short years, they were able to turn the world upside down. So don't think just because you didn't handle the storm. Learn the lesson what was going on the other side. You accomplished the purpose. Those disciples, they learned the lessons of where Jesus was going, what he was doing. Don't let the storms that the devil throws your way derail you. Maybe you didn't quite handle it right. Notice that Jesus didn't kick them all out of the boat and said, that's it, I'm done with you guys. Can't make it, can't get anywhere with you all. I need to go find me 12 other people. He doesn't do that. He stays right there with them, teaches them, and they all became something in the book of Acts. Now, it's not that God ordered the ways of all men, but the ones that he knew would receive the work of Jesus, he made plans for in the body. He knew you would make a decision for him. He made plans for you in the body. The enemy wants to tell you he didn't make any plans for you and you can't even knock out a storm. How are you going to be useful for him? No, you will. But God's not going to make plans for those who are not going to be part of it. He's not going to sit there and say, well, we have the softball team. Boy, I could sure use another one. I wish so-and-so would get on this softball team. I wish they would agree because I could sure use a first baseman. I could sure use somebody on second. I could sure use somebody over in this area over here. And I think they could do it, but they decided not to, not to participate. And I could be thinking all that, but that's not how God goes. God says, all right, you had the choice to do it. If you don't want to do it, we got someone over here. And they're going to come in here and they're going to do that. So, getting back into Ephesians, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, notice this. He says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What he does here is done in love. And that word there for love is agape. Let me read it all again. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before anything was done, he chose us in him, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. What he is done here is done in love. Most of what I hear people talk about in the area of predestination, there's no love in it. How can a loving God, how can someone in love say, all right, I don't want any part of you. You're not part of my kingdom. And just make that decision for him. That's not love. If we had a group of 50 people again, and we're going to say, uh, how many people want to play softball? And 30 people want to raise their hand, but I only got room for 20. Well, I don't like you. We're going to kick you. No, you don't, you don't get to play. No, we're going to get you off too. No, that's, that's not done in love. Those people are going to have their feelings hurt. Boy, I really wanted to be involved. I really wanted to, to get in, in on this thing. That's not what God does. What he's doing is in love. If what we hear people teach in the area of predestination does not come in line with the love of God, what they're teaching is wrong. You may not understand what the truth is, but you can understand that's not right because that's not a loving God. God does not sit there and pick and say, well, I like this one, I don't like this one. That's not how he does it. So he does this in love. We're going on again here. I want you to look at another spot. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now we look at that term there, adoption as sons. We see this term show up a few times in scripture. We see it here in Ephesians. We see it in Galatians. And the only other time we see it is in the book of Romans. Romans uses it three times having predestined us to the adoption of sons. Well, of course, we know that we are born into the family. We're not adopted. We're born into the family of God. So why is Paul telling us that we need to be born again? Why is he teaching us principles about being born? And then we have this part here being adopted. It's just a poor translation. We just don't have anything to translate it to. But that word there, and we've talked about that word enough times, that's probably one Greek word that you all know. It is sun-placing. 
they put it in here as adoption because what you would do is you would take somebody who was a, they, they saw it this way. You take somebody who was a son and place them into this family, therefore he is adopted. But that's not how the Hebrews looked at it. That's not how the Jewish people looked at it. What they looked at it, they looked at a person, a son who was born into the family. Born into the family. Comes to a place in their life where they are, they are no longer a child. And they are seen as a mature son. They still have that same ceremony today. They just call it different things. But it's the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah. This is where they take the son or the daughter and they put them into a mature place. Now, in Jesus' day, what this, in Paul's day, what would happen here is that they were taken as a child. And Galatians is, that's just read Galatians because that's the one that tells us about it. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, an heir is one born into the family. As long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. In the household, that child has no more rights to the things going on in there than the slave does, even though he's an heir, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's that same phrase there. That's that same word. Adoption. Son placing. We're not talking about someone who's adopted in the family. We're talking about someone who is an heir. But though they are an heir, they don't differ at all from a slave because they are a child. There is a time that is set forth by the father. When they hit that time, when they hit a certain, a certain amount of uh, requirements, they are taken from that place of being a child and placed in the position of being a son. They always were a born into the family son, but they were not placed into the position of a son. And that is what this happens. That is a whole ceremony they would go through. They still go through now. Those qualifications they have to do. I don't know how close they are to, to these ones. But of course there they're looking at them being able to handle the inheritance, handle the business, handle the uh, things of the house. They needed to be able to run them. And when they were under the stewards, when they were under the guardians, they would train them up and they would teach them the things they needed to know. When they got to a point where the guardians say he's ready, then they would have that position. That same son would go from the place of a child to the place of an adult. An adult. And he could then be have access as heir. The parable that Jesus gave of the two sons, the prodigal son. They had gone past this point and came to a place where they were, they, they had rights as an heir. Which is why they went to the father and they said, give me my inheritance. Because he had passed that point. And therefore he had the right as a son to, to as the heir. So he could say, give me my half. Give me my part now. And so he gave him his part. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of, <clears throat> of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. There is a way that God has for us to get from a place of an immature child into a place of a mature son. This has nothing to do with male and female. This has to do with position in the family. And whether we are male or whether we are female, it makes no difference. We can come to that place of the heir of the son in the family. And that's what he's looking at. In the same way you may be more born male, it doesn't mean you automatically become this, that you had to earn it. And if you're always going to stay an immature son, then you're not going to be there. How many Hallmark movies have we seen where the, you know, the rich dad got a couple of sons and the one's just uh, he's just off doing his own thing he's not mature and of course the movie is about him turning his life around getting himself to be mature and taking over the family whatever it is that they have going on well this is kind of what's going on here god wants us to take on the family business he wants us to get in there and uh and take our part but not as an immature child because an immature child is no different than a slave a slave just takes orders some christians never come out of that all they do is they just take orders god just tell me what to do I don't want to figure anything out on my own. Just tell me what to do. And, um, and they don't tell. They don't listen to everything God says to do. If they were would, they would be a mature child. But they won't listen to everything. God will say, sell everything you have. 
come follow me. Nah. Nah. So I put in your outline, does everyone get there? Does everyone get there? Does everyone get to the place of this sun placing? No. There's a lot of people who are Christians don't don't ever get here. They've refused the training. They refuse the things to, to, to grow up. They still have an immature look of Scripture. They won't dive into Scripture and learn anything deep. They just take these flesh level, remember in Joseph, the four levels of Revelation? They're down in one and two. And they won't get out of it. You got to get out of, of level one and two where it's just a flesh level. You just, uh, whatever you read it, whatever it is, you, you just understand it that way. I don't know about uh, I don't know if you ever do this. Sometimes I, I find different churches that are in the area and just listen to the pastors. Because you know you can do that a lot easier now. You know, they're up on Facebook, they're up on, on, on uh, YouTube. So I listened to one. I had heard about him. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit there and listen to it. Then the, the first part of the service was great. I mean, the guy was reading Scripture. Reading Scripture. He just read a whole passage. Oh, this is good. We're getting into the Word. That's, I like it. I don't know how deep he's going to get into it, but he's getting into the Word. This is good. And so we did that, and then we closed it. He didn't actually physically close it, but I mean, that was it. We were done. <laughs> we didn't read any more of the Scripture. And he went off on this thing, and he talked about all his ideas, used that as a launching pad, and just started to declare things. And I'm thinking, that's not in the Bible. That's not in that passage. That passage did not... I'm getting mad. <laughs> that passage did not teach that. Why are you teaching your people that that passage taught that? Now they're going to be... Oh, I was getting so mad, I just turned it off. I got halfway through it. <laughs> I said, that's it. I'm not listening to that anymore. Oh, man. But see, that there's people that they'll take that and they'll accept it and it keeps them immature. It keeps them from being able to develop. They'll never get to this place of some placing because they can't ever get to that place of maturity in the Word and see anything in depth in it. All they can do is see something. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, that's what it is. That's what the Bible's teaching. I mean, it's in there and you just read the scripture and then you said, no, you may have said that, but that's not in that scripture. How do you not under, how do you not see that? And we, and we don't sit there and we, we don't figure it out. They're not mature. They're immature people. They're immature Christians. They won't ever get to this place of some placing. And here's the thing. If you never get to the place of some placing, you can't do anything with the inheritance. This is what Paul is teaching. That is what Jesus was teaching when he was in the Gospels in his parables. He gave us two accounts that if you don't get to this place in life, you don't have right to the, to the inheritance. That was Jesus teaching it. And then Paul comes along. He teaches it more. He gets into the more, uh, more, more of the, the fine-tuned things about it. So probably this, this whole thing that the Hebrews did with the, with the kids, God had instilled that into them so that they would learn to get mature as a, as a believer. But the many Christians, they just, you know, devotions, well, we just open up the Bible, we point somewhere and we just read it. And we get something out of that. No, there's no studying, there's no getting in anything depth, there's no meat to, to chew on. That's not how we're supposed to go. We are supposed to grow, we are supposed to develop, we are supposed to uh, pursue the things of God. I, I've listened to... Um, uh, there's there's one minister I used to listen to a lot. Uh, I don't listen to him much anymore, but I used to listen to him a lot. But I've noticed over the last 10, 15, 20 years, he hasn't grown. He's still teaching exactly the same thing. And I'm thinking, man, didn't you learn yet that that's not so? I learned that wasn't so. He taught me that. I thought, oh, this is good. And no, that's not so. And he's just still out there teaching the same kind of thing. I'm thinking, man, how how is it you have not figured that out? Why are you still teaching the same things you were teaching 10, 15, 20 years ago? Why haven't you grown? That's one thing I tell you. I, I love being pastor of a church. Don't care if it's small church, whatever it is. I, I love being pastor here, here with you all because you all pursue things with, with God. I've listened to, to the people, you know, that travel and we talk with some of them and, you know, they, they develop, you know, one, two, three, six different sermons each year and they go around and they teach those things. Um, and that's, that's their calling. I'm not faulting them. That's, that's their calling. They're supposed to take a couple of messages, really develop it, and just read. They may preach the same message, you know, 20, 30, 40 times. They'll get it down. And they can re, they can refine it. Sometimes I get done preaching a message on Sunday. Oh, man, I missed this. Oh, I shouldn't have done this. And I want to go back and make the notes. So for 10, 20 years from now, I ever do it again. I make sure I get it, <laughs> make sure I get that in there. But 
Oh, I tell you, I, lo- I love it with you all because I can't teach the same thing on an on an off ongoing basis. I have to keep going back in and and learning some more and and checking out some more. And it's uh, t- for me, it's it's a blast. I love going back in there and checking out some more. But one thing it sure teaches me is how little I know. Because if I can go back to the same thing that I, I could, we're doing Ephesians here, we did Joseph. How many years ago we did Joseph? I go back to Joseph, and I'm thinking, how did I miss all this stuff? How stupid was I teaching this thing before? I'm missing all this stuff. Maybe, you know, 10 years from now, I go back and teach Joseph again. And I'll say, Man, how did I miss that? <laughs> we, think, we think, boy, we've hit it. We've, we've known some stuff. And then later on, we'll get back into it. No, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Wow. I, sh- I sure see how deep the Word of God is and how much He knows and how little it is that we know. Mm. But we're learning. We're still out there growing. Mm. And that's what we need to do. Now, what I really want us to see is some of these Bible examples. Because if we're going to learn something from the Bible teaching us, we have to, we have to see somewhere in the Bible where it is. got to see it going on. If I don't see it going on, and most of the way these people... Uh, that I've heard preach on predestination. Uh, I don't see that going on in the Bible. I don't see any place where it's happened. But they'll still teach like it's, it's going that way. So let's take a look at some examples. In um, Genesis 17.3, you can look, turn over there. I just mentioned to you Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a free choice, didn't they? When they came to the garden, and they were in the garden, and they came to that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they had a choice whether to eat from it or not. God didn't influence their decision. God didn't show up and say, guys, don't do that. He didn't do anything. He let them make their own decision. And he knew what their decision would be. And he made plans before the foundation of the earth was. He made plans to take care of the decision that he knew they would make that he didn't steer one way or the other. They made it themselves, but God already had his plan. In fact, when he comes up to Adam and Eve, he announces his plan. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That's his plan. And that was going to be the birth of Messiah, born of a virgin. Didn't lay out all the details there, but we saw that he already knew what he was going to do because he already had this laid out. In Abraham, look at verse 3, Genesis 17. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Right there. You shall be a father of many nations. Can you see the predestination of that? Abraham, I have selected you. You said you wanted to be on my team. I appreciate that. Now i got a role here for you. On this team, I want you to be the one through whom I bless all nations. And I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Is he a father of many nations right now? He is not. But God is not the God just of now. He is the God of the past, the present, and the future. He is the God of all. All those things. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. This is already done, even though he has no kids. I will make you an exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So that is the plan. This is the the predestination. This is the God, the way that God ordained things to happen or laid out things. This is how we're going to go, Abraham. You're going to be a father of many nations. Now, what was the problem with that? Abraham had to believe God for the son. And that was an issue. And God was having a hard time getting him past there. And so then God comes up and says, all right, look, we, we haven't gotten to the place where you're believing this yet because this is not the first time he spoke this to him. We haven't gotten you quite to that spot yet, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to change your name, and then we're going to make your name be Father of Many Nations. So that you are declaring all the time, Father of Many Nations, Father of Many Nations. And then he still had to make a couple more appearances to him, 
to get him to that place. Finally, he gets to the place where he is in, free, in his own free will, in the place of faith, and he and Sarah believe God and they receive the baby. They receive the son of promise. And things can happen. But you see, God laid out, this is how it's supposed to go, but I need you to make your own decision to go this way and to receive this. I can't receive it for you. You've got to receive it. You've got a role in this. Could you see, you see how that's involved here? God has a predestined plan. This is where we want to get you. And Abraham's very reluctant to get there. He keeps seeing a problem. I don't have an heir. Let's go with the way of Hagar. And God says, no, that's not the way. No, that is not the son of promise. God is, is taking him on back. He keeps veering off. And God says, here's the way to get back onto the track, onto the way. And we finally get him there. And once we get him there, he doesn't get off it. He stays a man of faith and, and all those things. He did, did wonderful. Jacob and Esau, as it is written in Romans chapter 9, Jacob, uh, verse 13. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Why? Because God knew that Esau would despise the things that God saw as valuable and that Jacob would value the things that God said were valuable. And so he selected Jacob over Esau because he saw them them coming. It was Esau's decision. God didn't make him decide. It was Esau's decision to despise his birthright. Jacob honored it. It was Esau's decision to walk in the way that he walked. God didn't make that decision for him, but God knew he would do it. Therefore, before you've been born, I've already mapped out where we're going to go. Esau, I'd love to use you, but I can't because you won't pick, pick yourself on the team. So I'm going to take Jacob. Malachi 1-2 I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau... I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. So again, God knew which direction each of these would go. We just spent a good bit of time on Joseph. Don't need to spend a whole lot more time with him on here. But you could see God had a path. Jacob, I need you. You're going to be a ruler in Egypt and you were going to watch over all this food stuff so that there's food for my people. And then man did some stuff. We decided to sell him into slavery. That's not part of God's plan. That's all right. I have a way to get you back into the plan. It wasn't, ja- it wasn't Joseph's fault. It was the brother's fault. That's all right. People did it to him. A storm came up. Don't worry about it. We're going to get you back onto the right thing. And even there, Potiphar's wife, she throws a fit. And he goes back into the prison now. It's all right. I know how to get you out of this. I know how to put you into the, into the right spot. You don't fret about it. And, and Joseph stayed in faith. Joseph stayed trusting in his God. And God brought him out of there when the time was right. When he needed him to to step in. And he does it. David in 2 Samuel 12 and 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. God says, this wasn't my plan. This wasn't the direction you were supposed to go. In fact, he even says to him, If you didn't have enough stuff, tell me about it. I would have given you more. But you had to go out there and take something. And this, this child is an opportunity for the, for the enemy against you, against the Lord's people. But God says, I got a way to fix this. I didn't create this, but I got a way to fix it. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus is handed a book. He was handed a book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all the eyes of who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture talks about that God the Father has predestined a way for His Son to go. This is what you are going to do. This is your purpose. This is what you're going to 
to function as. And he says, I can do that. And he lines right up with it. But God had uh, set this out. This is what Messiah is going to do. And and Jesus just reads it. To this day, that's fulfilled. Whether he had done a whole lot in there or not, it didn't make any difference. This day, that is fulfilled. And he went that way. In John chapter 21, Jesus is speaking to Peter. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now what this is telling you here is that God says, Peter, you're going to be doing some things for the kingdom. You're going to go in a direction and some people are not going to like it. And they are basically going to uh, what ended up, he was crucified. They're going to string you up, stretch you out, and you're going to go to a place you don't want to go. Now, that, God's not saying that's the way I want you to go. He's saying, that's the way people are going to take you. But don't you worry about it. We got this. Now, what are the results of right or wrong belief in regards to predestination? That's the that's thing we need to understand. What are the end results? If I have a right belief or a wrong belief? Because some people just say, well, I don't know what to believe. I'll just throw it all out. The phrase, God is in control, translates to whatever God wants to happen will happen no matter what, <clears throat> no matter if I am obedient or not. Yielded or flesh controlled. Spiritually mature or remain immature. Just sit back and let God do His thing. <laughs> That's God is in control. I don't, whatever I do, God's gonna do His thing. It makes no difference. Devil loves that mentality inside people. Because then I, I don't need to mature. I don't need to grow. I don't need to pursue the things of God. God's purpose is gonna be accomplished whether I pursue it or not. Whether I mature or not, God's purpose is gonna be accomplished. I can't hold back the purposes of God except that God needs to use the people that are here on the earth. The enemy wants us to think that whatever we do doesn't matter in order to get us to do whatever our flesh wants. Or another way is to to lose hope when bad things happen to us. Something bad happens to us, oh... God should have stopped this. Oh, God should have prevented this. Oh, why did this happen? What did I do to cause this to happen? What did I do that God would send this upon me? Because God is in control. And He can cause us to lose lose hope. Just like the disciples. What did we do to cause this storm to come upon us? No. The devil wants to stop you from the purpose that you're going to. Don't let him. God wants us to know whatever the enemy or whatever people do against us. Or even regardless of the events that just happen to come down, the storms that happen to come down upon our life, it will have no effect on the plan of God. No matter what man does, no matter what Satan does, no matter what events happen, it will have no effect on the plan of God simply because I have yielded myself to Him. If I yield myself to Him, no matter what people do that are yielded to the devil, it will not stop the plan of God. Joseph is a great case in point with that. He yielded himself to God. The brothers yielded themselves to their own flesh desires, even sometimes satanic ones, to destroy that family. But they could not stop because Joseph yielded himself to God. And God was able to use him, regardless of what Potiphar did, regardless of what Pharaoh did, regardless of what the brothers did, regardless of what his father did, regardless of what Potiphar's wife did, regardless of what happened in the prison. It makes no difference. He was yielded to God. The enemy wants to get you to not be yielded to God, to not grow. Because if he can get you to not be yielded, he can get that predestined plan off course. 
But if I stay yielded to God, even when I make mistakes, God says, that's all right, we can get you back in there. Even when Moses made the mistake and ended up out of the will of God, God says, I got a way to get you back in. And he got him back in. And we got this thing going. 30 years late. <laughs> but we still got it going. Because Israel was in there for 430 years instead of 400. Like God had said. That's because Moses made a mistake. Moses went out in a different direction. But God had a way to get him back in. Now God may not control the other people. But when we are yielded to Him and He controls us, He can make events go the way they need to go. He needs yielded people. Don't be concerned about the people that are yielded to the devil or they're not yielded to God because He can work through you. When He had a yielded vessel like Moses, He could part seas. He could swallow up armies because He had a yielded vessel. Don't underestimate the power of God and what He can do with a yielded vessel. He has predestined directions for us to go. We will make mistakes that will take us off that path. But our God is strong enough. He says, that's alright. I can get you back on it. This was the best way to go. This, this part right here, this was the best way to go. Um, but that's alright. We can still get you there. It'll just take a little bit longer. That's all. And he'll get us right, right over there. One thing, God has time. He's not so bothered by, by all that. I wrote this down in your outline for you. What is predestined is not pre-programmed. Doesn't mean that God said, well, I, I put it into the equation. This is the way it's going to work. Regardless of what it is you do. No, it's predestined. I've laid it out. This is the way that you should go. Um, but sometimes people make a make wrong decisions, going the wrong way. It's not pre-programmed. I'm not just programmed to follow a certain way. But God says, "Here's the way to go," and I veer off over here, and He's telling me, "Come on back over this. This is the way you're supposed to go. This is the way you're supposed to go." And eventually, I listen. He gets me back on. Predestined doesn't mean it's automatic. This is the way you're going to go. You still have to make the decision. It was predestined for Paul. Paul, I want you to be the one who's going to take this message to the people. But Paul wasn't listening. He was not going in that direction. And God was ready to say, Paul, I'm ready to have your life end right now. Are you going to listen? Yes, sir. And God took him around. God, God altered that. If, if Paul wouldn't have been resistant and he had started earlier and his ministry would have started earlier, how would it have changed the world? I don't know. But it surely would have changed the world some. Moses' disobedience, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Moses' disobedience cost Israel 30 years, 30 more years in the land of Egypt. How many people who are believing God who are still in faith for the deliverer to come and for them to leave Egypt died in those 30 years and never saw it? They should have. And they never saw it because somebody was disobedient. It's important that we listen to God and we follow after His plans. But God has a way to bring it back. Best way to go is His way. But we don't always go the best way. But God will get, you, get us back in there. Predestined doesn't mean He made all the decisions. Predestined just means we made our decisions and He knows how to bring about His will based upon who's going to be on His team and who is going to answer the call when He calls. Father, I thank you for the call that you put out to us. We want to be ones who answer it. We want to follow along that path that you have laid, not because we don't have any other choice, but we do have a choice. And we want to willingly choose to follow the path that you have laid out because we love you and we trust you.
And we know that you love us and only have good things in store for us. That you've mapped out good things. So we'll follow you in the direction that you say to go. In Jesus' name, amen.